Welcome, welcome everyone. Glad you're here. If you're joining us online, so glad you're joining us. Uh, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. We're going to uh, focus on verses 32 and following. For those of you who are new to fullness, welcome. We're so glad you're here this morning and pray that um, what's been done already has blessed you in some way. Uh, I want to add my thanks to Wanda. You know, so much happens behind the scenes to make church happen. Some people are unseen giving stewards and servants. And, and Wanda, it's just been incredible. And so we thank her and um, thank you all, each of you for all that you do behind the scenes that helps God's fellowship of believers happen in a way that uh, hopefully honors him. And so we'll see that this morning. Thanks, thanks for being here. Uh, Luke 23, we're looking at passages from Luke. I, I lost my train of thought. I, I'm sorry. Just, I, I would like to say this this morning. I, don't, I hate to say this because I don't want you to feel any pity for me, but it's okay if you do. Uh, I have a really bad ear infection, so I'm a slightly drugged up. So if I lose my train of thought, somebody just help me move it along here. Just remind me I'm in Luke and... That sort of thing. And we'll, we'll keep you're like, well, how does he normally preach? It, it sounds like that anyway. So you may not be able to tell a difference. Anyway, Luke chapter 23. Um, where was I? Oh, I was talking about uh, we're doing unique passages in the book of Luke. And so this passage this morning, looking at the two thieves on the cross, all the Gospels mention them, but this conversation that happens between Jesus and the people being crucified on either side of him is pretty unique to the, it's unique to the book of Luke, and it's one of uh, the stories I just love to preach. This is, uh, the Gospel is right here on the cross, being demonstrated in the forgiveness of our Lord to people who didn't deserve forgiveness in any way. And just to kind of feed forward, you are the thief on the cross. In every way, you didn't deserve. You may have thought you deserved it. Maybe you think you're better, slightly better than him. But just look around the room. Just look around the room for one second. I'm serious. Look around. Everybody you're looking at has screwed up in some way. You know, our measure of messed upness is usually based on our level of messed upness. In other words, yeah, I'm messed up, but I'm not as messed up as them. Therefore, you know, my balloon that's six feet off the ground is higher than yours that's only three feet off the ground. None of us deserve the grace and mercy and love of God. And we've all messed up in some way. I have a short video, and I'm going to just talk over it. This is how uh, this is how women in Coleman, Alabama, handle the news that their boyfriend has cheated on them. Um, you just take matters into your own hand. This is a real Alabama woman stepping up and doing what's necessary to her boyfriend's car. Um, I would like to say this ends soon, but it doesn't. She is going to totally wreck this front of this car. Now, here's what the woman says. She was a 24-year-old woman. She was arrested for disorderly conduct. 
And here's what she said. I already knew going into it that I would have to face some consequence. And, you know, it kind of sucks. But like I said, here's the part that gets me. You may not have noticed. This is what she said. I prayed about it. <laughs> and I did it anyway. <laughs> My friends, this is prayer in action right here. What do you do when you mess up? Where do you go when things don't turn out like you thought, when you don't turn out like you thought? The thief on the cross, there are two of them, as you recall, one on either side of Jesus. It says in the book of Luke, two other men, both criminals, thieves, robbers, my understanding is that the word criminals that's used here is like career criminal. This is someone, this is their life. This is not someone who just got caught like in Les Mis stealing a loaf of bread because they were starving. This is someone who made a living at criminaling. That was their resume. We don't really know, Luke doesn't point out exactly what they did, but they were deserving goes on and says, they were also led with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they were crucified. They crucified him along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. There was a written notice above him which said, this is the king of the Jews. Remember in an earlier passage, Pilate is the one who had this written, the Jews objected, but... He said, no, you brought him as a king. He claimed to be a king. Let's put it there. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourselves and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence... We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm afraid we've read this story so many times that we don't get the remarkable, remarkable nature of the story itself. These two thieves, criminals, recognition that they deserved what they're getting. One asks for rescue and one is going to ask for forgiveness. And to many of us in this day and age, these are our two options. I want out of the consequences of what I've done or... I want forgiveness for what I've done. And there are two radically different approaches, approaches to life. I have to be honest, when I was born, born and raised, I was raised in a pastor's home. Uh, my dad and mom, uh, just incredible people. My mom's death was 11 years ago yesterday. And so I'm, I've been thinking about her, thinking about her a lot. 
And the restraining factors in my life were this. First, the restraining factor was fear of punishment. Um, my, my parents, old school, South Georgia, born and raised, spared the rod, spoiled the child, and the rod was not spared in our home. My brother deserved it more than me, but I, I got my share. Yeah, my sister, she was like the golden child. But anyway, <laughs> fear of, that's my own pathologies coming out, but fear of punishment. Many people are still on that track that they don't do because they are afraid of the punishment. The second restraining factor as I got older in my life was the fear of disappointing my parents. Uh, there are a lot of things I didn't do, not because I didn't want to do them or because I knew they were sin, but I knew that if I got caught, no longer was the fear of punishment the thing that worried me because I'd grown past that with my parents, but now I love my parents so much, it was the fear of disappointing them. And I have to tell you the truth, that, that restraining factor probably went on way too long in my life. But there's a higher level, and that's when I entered into a relationship with a living God and realized he sees me every moment of every day. And in spite of the ways I've messed up, he loves me and forgives me. There are higher levels of why we do what we do, and I think we see that here on the cross. And I just want to walk through the powerful nature of this passage and pray that we all, we all see it today. So here's the first point. To realize the power of amazing faith. The criminal says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now again, we've read this way too many times. We're also seeing it from the back toward the story. We know Jesus is the king. We know the resurrection is coming. We know all of that stuff. But this guy is on the cross next to another guy who's dying on the cross, and he turns to him and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What about Jesus signaled to this guy that he was a king? I mean, really, from an earthly perspective, there is nothing other than the king of the Jews sign, but that's a mocking, sarcastic sign. There's no way he looked at the sign and said, hey, you're a king. You know what I mean? He never, there's nothing about it. But in faith, somehow he saw something that wasn't seen. He rebukes the other criminal who's making fun of Jesus. He says, hey, if you're a king, get us off. This guy looks at him and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's an incredible measure of faith. To see a guy dying next to you and say, I, when, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. That level of faith is the level of faith that all of us need, really, to enter into the kingdom. We have some parts of the story that this guy didn't see, but at the same time, it takes faith. Faith is not by sight. Faith is not by experience. Faith is like this criminal who sees Jesus and says, he's the Christ. He's the king. Remember me. This is amazing amazing faith. Second point is this. 
respond to the pretense of amazing love. What do I mean by that? I'm sorry, amazing hope. Thank you, Dottie, for reading for me. (laughs) Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. As amazing as the criminal seeing Jesus and saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom, the hope that Jesus gives to this guy is today you're going to be with me in paradise. It's unbelievable that his request is granted. Why is it so incredible? It's incredible because This guy who's next to Jesus is dying for being a career criminal. And he's about to die. And he's never, ever going to do anything worthwhile from our perspective. He's going to die right there. He's never going to get baptized. He's never going to go to church. He's never going to go to confession. He's never going to do a good deed, really, in in all of his life. There's nothing about what this guy does that signals he should have hope to be fulfilled. And yet, for us, we think, okay, yeah, Jesus saves me, but my hope is really then in what happens and what I do after I become a Christ follower, right? We think, okay, I got to go to church, I got to give money, I got to talk nice to people, I can't be mean like I want to be, um, I can't say every word I want to say, I got to restrain myself because I don't want to disappoint God. I don't want punishment. And yet the hope of God stands here or is dying on that cross with Jesus because he's never going to do a thing. Whenever the devil comes against you and says, okay, you got to do something for God to love you, then we many times, I think, are, 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 are seeing God like we see others. How do we judge the value of another person? We judge them by appearance. Well, they look pretty good. Right? You see somebody, they're driving a nice car, they're dressed up nice, they talk good, and so we think, oh, their appearance is... They're a good person. Or through their performance, what they've done. We judge their value based on that. And again, I'm going to say it. This guy, he didn't look so good, right? He's dying on a cross brutally. The thief, the criminal, he's never going to perform anything. God sees us though, as beings created in his image. All of us. Every single one of us stand equally here before God because the image of God is on us and in us. And God loves us. And the hope that we have, this is critical, please, is not based on you or me. It's based on Jesus. It's based on God. I don't know why you're not more excited about this. (laughs) Maybe it's my state. This is is why the good news isn't just good news. It's unbelievable news. The thief on the cross to me is the, the gospel unhinged. 
Because everything I think about church and religious life and everything is, 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 dies not only with Jesus, but it dies with that thief too. He is the demonstration to me of I didn't do anything to deserve Jesus saying yes to me. I won't ever do anything to the level that deserves Jesus saying yes to me. And yet he says yes anyway. It's, it's pretentious. It's unbelievable. It's incredible. Third point is this. Receive the promise of amazing grace. I mean, really, think about it. You receive forgiveness, you receive hope, and it comes through the grace. It comes through the grace of God. Jesus has already said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. To all of those around him, as you saw in the video, he's declared forgiveness. And the one thief, he's asking this one, I've been going this way, all right. This one is asking for escape. Just get me out of here. If you really are a king, save yourselves and save, save us as you go. I want escape. The other one, on the other hand, wants forgiveness. He wants to be with Jesus in paradise. And it's the incredible story of the grace of God that he not only forgives Jesus, not only forgives those who are doing this against him, but he forgives this thief as well. In addition, that grace is extended to us because he canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it on a cross. People, the power of this passage that Paul is giving us in Colossians is is demonstrated with the thief, but but comes through Jesus in a powerful way. The, The The record of our wrongs is not like hidden in some closet somewhere that God is going to pull out and hold against you at some day in the future. You know the passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that says love keeps no record of wrongs? I have to admit, that's been one of the... One of the challenges of my life in loving people. I really do keep a record of wrongs. I don't really write it down and keep it, but it's back there. Right? I mean, it's kind of it's back there. And, and the devil has no problem reminding me which closet that record is hidden in. So that at the appropriate time, if you mess with me again... I'm going to bring out the record. Now, I can hold out a long time generally without going to the records closet and pulling it out. But at some point when I'm weak and tired and frustrated, if I'm not careful, I'll go get the record. And I'll pull it out. But God is so incredible. How could God forget How could he kill my record? The God who knows everything, remembers everything, how does he destroy it? That's the power of the cross. That's what he did. 
That's what God did when he died that day on the cross. He not only forgave us. You know, it's easy to forgive sometimes. In our way that we think of forgiveness. But God destroyed the record of our wrongness. Here's what's incredible about the gospel, which is so, you should just be at some time kind of loopy over this. Not only did he destroy the record of our wrongs, past tense, he destroyed the record of our wrongs, present tense. And this is the part that I get in, I, I, I can't even get around, is that he destroyed the record of my wrongs, future tense, when he nailed it on the cross. That's how incredible the grace. And you may be saying, wait a minute. Did he really destroy the record of my wrongs, future tense? I mean, what if I, what if I go out and mess up? Here's the, here's, the, here's the news. It's not what if you go out and mess up. It's when you go out and mess up. Because you're not going to stay good. You're barely good now. You're probably not good now. Your mind's on something else at times. I don't know why, because this sermon is so unreal, but your mind is probably somewhere right now. It's not a what if, it's a when. And you're saying, if, if I'm going to mess up in the future, how could God's grace be that great? That's how great it is. But when sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness, to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, this passage in Romans, Paul is, Paul is really saying, you can't sin enough to overcome the grace of God. That's how great God's grace is. Right? Hello, people. That's how God's grace is. Now, again, I think most, many of us are sitting here thinking, this just doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound like this is the way I should be living my life. And Paul, he anticipates your argument. He, anticipates, he knows what you're thinking because he probably thought it too. That if sin can't overcome the grace of God, then I should just go out and sin all I want. Because God's got to forgive me, right? But he says this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. And I can't even express to you that the impact of his by no means. He's saying, don't be an idiot. I mean, that's kind of my interpretation. Stronger words could be used here, but he's saying, heck no, don't do it. Why would you even think that way? For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. Whew, I can't even get my head around this. I think that when I get saved and come to Jesus, that I put myself under something, and I do. But it's under grace, it's not under law. Where did the church get so messed up that we think, okay, Jesus saves me, and now I've got all these rules I've got to follow to get God to love me more? Have y'all not been in church much? Were you not raised in church? Did you not kind of come away with that a little bit? I mean, I did. I know I did. I was raised in an incredible, loving 
home in a Baptist church. I don't think anyone said this implicitly, but there was something about all the way we did church at times that made me come away thinking, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to have my Bible reading. I've got to give to the church. I've got to go to church. Uh, here are the things I've got to do. I've got to, you know, I got to witness to one person this week. I got to do this. Kind of like it's this checklist of things I got to do. And oh Lord, the checklist of things I wasn't supposed to do, really long. This is, and this is my thought of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to get his approval, to walk in his grace. And Paul is saying, look, God's grace is so amazing. You got it all wrong. You don't live under that law. You live under grace. But Paul, Paul is, he's also pointing out, look, don't go out and live like however you want. Walk in the grace of God. Walk in the grace of God. It will make you not want to do those things if you really, in the power of the Spirit, walk in his grace. The thief on the cross, the amazing story of forgiveness and hope and grace demonstrated in this story can be every single one of yours today. This is, this is not just a story. This is the gospel. That God died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can have hope both now and in the future and be recipients of this incredible grace so that we can live empowered by his glorious presence. It's not about stories, knowing stories, believing stories. It's about where's my relationship with the center piece of the three on the cross? Where's my relationship with Jesus? Is he the one who I see as the one who forgives my sins and leads my life? Or is this just a good man that some people, bad men, killed? Not only that, if you're here and haven't done that today, we want to encourage you. We'll do, we'd love to share with you about how Jesus can be the one who forgives and leads. And your life can be changed by this. Just like this thief guy, he can be changed forever. This guy didn't have long to live. But he's a recipient of the grace of God. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to include, I want to, I want to help encourage you today to say, walk out that grace, walk out that hope, walk out that forgiveness every moment of every day for every day for the rest of your life. There's a book by a guy named Gene Edwards. It's a, a retelling from an angelic standpoint. It's not everybody's cup of tea. But I love it because it sparks my imagination about receiving the goodness and grace of God. And in this chapter that I'm going to read for you a couple of pages from this story, the way Gene Edwards is re-envisioning it, 
Gabriel is looking down, following the cross from heaven to earth. And there's another angel who he calls recorder, who is kind of recording the events that are going on. And they see something coming at them. Uh, The door that's been closed between heaven and earth has suddenly been shattered open with the cross. And they see something coming at them. And they start having a conversation. Gabriel begins. He says, what is it? At that moment, Recorder appeared beside Gabriel. In the name of all that is holy, Recorder, what is that? The face of the ancient messenger was aglow. Do not ask what it is. Ask rather who it is. You mean that is someone, a person? You mean a... Not only is it someone, responded Recorder, it is a human being. A what? You heard me, Gabriel. You are not deaf. But that's impossible. They do not look like that. That which is approaching our realm, our now unguarded realm, is a human being. Not only a human being, but one who is very much one of the fallen race of fallen Adam. The entire host had surrounded Recorder, hanging on every word. The shared thought in every spirit was, but who can this be? Such glory, such beauty, such purity, such perfection. Never have my eyes seen the like. I have wondered about this moment since the first book of life was placed in my charge. The sons of light stood in wonder at the sound of Recorder's voice. Gabriel, broke both frustrated and frightened, did what no angel had ever done before nor since. Gabriel grabbed Recorder and shaking him thundered. If this is a who, then who is it? Paying no attention to such irreverence, an ecstatic recorder threw his hands above his head and roared, Do you not know? Host of heaven, have you not understood? Sons of creation, do you not realize what grander redemption your Lord has this day wrought? Do you not know who even now comes to join us in our realm? The face of every angel was blank. Then I shall tell you, Go now, go out to meet him, for he is the first fruit of your Lord's redeeming blood. Do not understand who comes this way, robed in glory, robed in light, robed in perfect righteousness, robed in the very holiness of God. He comes into our midst blameless, unindictable, and without reproach. He is the first of a great multitude that will someday come to be known as the Holy Ones. Look at him. As glory comes toward glory, look at him. See his hands and feet. Just a moment ago, he died upon a cross, a criminal. Now by the blood of the lamb, he is glory beyond glory. Behold the Bedouin, roared recorder. Behold the thief. Behold the criminal who died upon a cross. Behold redemption. Out of pure wonder and awe and ex- Exultation. The sons of creation unleashed a thunderous shout that almost cracked the vaults of heaven. The thief! It is the thief! It is the thief! With a quickness reserved only for angels, the heavenly throng poured out of the open portal, formed as they did a glowing procession of light that reached the tip of earth's skies. 
Shouts of joy and jubilation flooded the air as the Bedouin reached the staircase of angels. The thief, the thief, comes now the thief to join us in our realm. By the blood, by the blood of the redeeming lamb. The thief stands as an example for every one of us. Not because of what he did, not because of what he would ever do, but rather because of what Christ did for him on the cross. The God who hung the stars in place loves you. The God who created, came to earth, died on a cross to redeem us. Who am I? That the Lord of glory would do this? I'm no one. I'm like the thief. But he did it nonetheless. So this morning, with the moments we have remaining, I just want to ask you to stand and let's just worship him. Let's glory in what he's done in you and in me through his grace and faith and hope. of creation there at the start before the beginning of time no point of reference you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of
reflect the light of his glory to the world around us. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within you. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless.